Speaking of leading, we, uh, we've gone from becoming dependent on things like paper maps and atlases to electronic gadgets to get from point A to point B. I'm just curious, okay? This isn't uh, any kind of poll to uh, separate people into camps, but uh, how many of you still uh, default to some sort of hard copy of map? You just, you haven't come to trust these. Okay, I kind of thought so. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, some people just like, I, I like to have something in my hand, right? Of course, you know, one of the, the problems with that, of course, is there's new roads that might come into existence, or in some cases, there's old roads that they've closed down and they no longer go where they used to say uh, they went, not, not far from here, going back to where Becky and I live in Little River, uh, when they redid uh, Highway 90 when they brought in uh, the Robert Edge uh, Bridge there from Main Street across the waterway. Uh, they, they changed the, the way Highway 90 goes there. Not terribly so. You can still see the old part of the old road off to the side there. It's growing over with grass and it's just been abandoned and stuff. And, uh, but, you know, someone that might be following a map uh, runs into something like that uh, and think, oh, what do I do now? I remember even the electronic gadgets can really throw you for a loop too, though, right? I remember several years back, and this is really the last time I remember something like this happening when I was trying to follow some sort of GPS, and it was an actual GPS uh, device, not just our phone. Uh, Someone had graciously given us a week at their mountain cabin for our family. The kids were small. Uh, I think Caleb was only maybe like 9 or 10 or something like that at the time. And so uh, we just plugged in the address and headed that way. And it was great on the interstates and stuff. But as we started going up the mountain, and of course, at this point, it's also getting dark. Okay, So we're going up, I think it was Black Mountain uh, in North Carolina. And uh, as we're going up, and it's almost completely dark, of course, we can, you know, we can see the road and everything, but I'm looking at the GPS, and I notice that the little symbol for our vehicle on the screen, uh, where it had been following, you know, the line that represents the road, now there's no line on the screen, okay? We are on uncharted ground, and it looks like we're just kind of, you know, off-roading on the side of the mountain, according to the GPS. And uh, I thought, boy, if, if I'm supposed to take a turn, you know, how am I going to know this? I mean, I could see the point that I'm trying to get to. Fortunately, there weren't any other side roads, just driveways and stuff for people. Yeah, and it, it did get us there, okay? But I got to say, it was a little unnerving there. And uh, I, I still, as, as much as we've grown accustomed to using electronic devices, there's still this, you know, this little uh, spirit of mistrust uh, because they've, they have let me down so many times. But I'll tell you what a blessing it is for me to be able to look back over my life and realize that as I have chosen to follow the leadership of the Lord in my life, that He has always always guided me faithfully he guided me into his arms for salvation as a 12 year old boy uh, he guided me into the ministry uh, to serve him as a pastor uh, he guided me uh, into the loving arms of my best friend and that's a whole story in and of itself that uh, it had it not been for the lord there's no way our paths were ever going to cross and can't imagine life without her and the wonderful family, the children, grandchild that the Lord has given to us. Uh, on and on I could go. Coming down here, uh, you know, I remember how uh, really bamfoozled I was that the Lord brought us down here, and yet I can't imagine ever being anywhere else but here now. That's the way God leads sometimes, isn't it? But He always leads well. And he always leads right. So as we talk about today, the idea he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
We're going to talk about how Jesus as a shepherd tends us, as a shepherd tends his flock, in the form of counseling us. Now, when the scripture uh, speaks of the shepherd, is this working for me, by the way? I'm not, I'm clicking and it's not happening there. You can go ahead and switch to the next slide if it's something I'm doing there. Yes, when the scripture speaks of the shepherd leading in paths of righteousness, what we really want to realize is it's simply talking about putting us in the correct path. There's many, many paths that exist uh, around pasture land. And from the point that a shepherd is taking uh, the sheep from the pen and out to pasture. And of course, the shepherd goes before the sheep. And as Jesus taught us in, in the book of John, uh, he calls out his sheep. They follow him. And that's what's supposed to happen, you know. He's out front. We follow behind. That's the way it works for us as believers. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, we keep him out front. We're not supposed to run ahead of him. There is really more than one way a path can be incorrect for a sheep even. It could be wrong because of bad things that would be found at the end of the path. In other words, a path might lead to an area where a sheep might find itself grazing, but it's not good pasture land. Uh, that's one way it could be a wrong path. It could also be wrong because of bad practice while on the right path, too. I mean, you could be in good pasture land, but because of bad behavior in that pasture land, it might become a bad path. The leading of the Lord in our lives really is essentially Him counseling us. We don't always think about that that way, but counseling is a kind of a popular word these days. Uh, people sometimes only think of counsel when they are in the midst of having problems, though, right? Let me tell you, don't wait till there's problems to get counsel. It's better to be proactive, isn't it? And really, we ought to understand and appreciate the concept of counseling. We ought to be receiving good counsel every day of our lives. And God gives it to us in several different ways that we're going to see today. But God does want to counsel us. It means following God's direction over our own self-guidance. I know, I know that there's a tendency for us to sort of feel like, we got this. I can figure this out. And often when we are the most self-confident about choosing paths, that's when we're in the greatest danger, folks. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he what? Fall. Let's, let's learn that dynamic in the Christian life. The sooner the better. Let's remind ourselves of that. And so if, if, you know, let's don't wait till things are crushing us down. If we get up and think, wow, you know, I feel on top of the world. That's when we're like, oop, better settle down a little bit here. You know, if I go out and just kind of rush into the day and leave God behind, if I don't have the shepherd out front and me following him, that's a recipe for disaster. And so... What does this require on our part? It requires teachability. It requires humility. Wow. Really remembering ourselves, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, as the Bible says. So God counsels or God leads us in a couple different ways. He guides us primarily out of his word. Praise God for the Bible. That's why here at Anchor Baptist Church, our fundamental approach is to keep pointing people to this book. That's why we try to put tools in your hand that are not a substitute from, from this book, but help you with this book. You know, some people will visit and say, you know, wow, you know, you've got these little devotional books out there, you know, and I'm like, yeah, they're free for the taking. Take them, you know, because 
You know, we want to put things into people's hands that will help you when you open up the Word of God to help you to understand, to give some additional thoughts and insights. Not a substitute for the Spirit of God leading you, right? We understand that. And that's the second part. God leads us out of His Word, guided by the Spirit. You know, if you're truly a Christian, then the Spirit dwells in you. The Bible tells us that categorically. There's no such thing as a Christian without the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to pray for His presence like some people might teach. You might find yourself quenching Him or grieving Him, and you may not be allowing Him to control you, but He's there. So as we've talked about on other Sundays, we need to stop quenching Him by our activity and stop grieving Him so that He is able to guide us properly. But He's there. If we're, not, if we're not deriving the benefit of Him leading us into all truth, there's something wrong on our side. And of course, we know that God also gives the aid of other wise believers. And what a blessing that is to have brothers and sisters in Christ those that have been gifted with spiritual gifts. I've been given the, the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher as well as serving in that office uh, capacity within the local church. What is that role? I, I love being able to be an instrument for good to help point people into what the, understanding what the Word of God says. Not that you walk away and say, well, Pastor Wood said this so much as what I love saying is, Pastor Wood helped me to see what the Word of God said on this. See, it, see how that works? It always goes back to the Word of God. That is our fundamental groundwork for all of our faith and practice, as it should be. So what should we consider from this principle of Jesus tending us by counseling us? Well, number one, we need to beware of laxness in our daily choices. And you know what? We're all guilty of this from time to time. We can be lazy creatures, okay? And, and especially when it comes to having the level of concern about choosing things throughout the day. And we're really good, though, when it comes to what we consider major issues. But sometimes it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, as the Old Testament teaches us. You know, sheep can walk into pasture land that can be potentially harmful to themselves. They're known to do that, left to themselves. The shepherd must be trusted in finding safe places to graze. Sheep do not in themselves have the built-in discernment to avoid all the problematic vegetation that is out there. Sheep don't survive very well in the wild. They need to be uh, shepherded. The meadow could have vegetation in it that's harmful if the sheep digest it be gaseous, it could lead to bloating, it could lead ultimately to terminating the life of the sheep. You know, David understood this concept in interacting with his people. Before David ascended to the throne, while Saul was still king, and you remember the hostility that Saul had towards David during that time. So David is out on the run. Yet David was highly respected as a man of valor. And there were many people that pledged their loyalty to David. These became known as David's mighty men. And one, one group is mentioned in greater detail in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. And it, in that chapter, it's listing all these. But this one verse always has stood out to me in my Bible when I come to it. And it says, and of the children of Issachar, which is a tribe of Israel, which were men that hath understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 
Now, the Bible doesn't give any further explanation about what that means. So we need to be careful about going too far off on this. But what it is definitely talking about is in this group of men, and I don't think it was a genetic trait, folks. God doesn't work that way. You're not, you're not necessarily born with discernment. You might be gifted with being intuitive and intellectual in certain ways that therefore then helps your discernment. But discernment is something that has to be honed. And it is honed by knowledge and not just knowing anything, but being constantly someone who is a sampler of truth. And then someone who with wisdom, because knowledge isn't enough, you need to know how to rightly apply knowledge, and we call that wisdom. So how does that knowledge fit into daily life experience? And what I'm seeing going on around me. And so this tells me that this probably happened within this tribe because, you know, there was a forefather who was very intentional in training his children about the importance of of being biblical discerning. And then, therefore, their children taught their children, their children taught their children, and it it spread. And I'm sure there were deviations from that, like any case. But you had disproportionately a high ratio of people within this tribe of people that David was able to say, I'm glad to have them on my team. I'm glad to have them on my team. Folks, God's people, the church of Christ, has always needed people with biblical discernment. And and this could be a whole other message as we might apply what America ought to do, but I think primarily our point is we need to know what we ought to do. And we spend a lot of time wringing our hands about what's going on in our country, and we do need to be praying for our country But sometimes I hear people fuss and fume over stuff, and I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? And what can I do? I'm like, well, maybe you need to spend a lot of time, less time fussing and fuming about it, and use that energy to go out and give someone the gospel, you know, that can change something, right? But we do need to be able to look at life through the lens of biblical truth. And you're not going to get that by spending all your time watching Fox News or reading blogs on the Internet and so forth like that. It's going to come primarily from getting back into the Word of God and listening to the Spirit of God, being around God's people. Many people do not give much thought to the ramification of their present choices. It's so easy just to be very impulsive in some of our choices that we make in daily life without even pausing, even for a moment, and thinking, what could this choice lead to? What will be the future implications of what I am presently considering? I love Proverbs 14 and verse 8. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the fool of follies is deceit, and that deceit probably is alluding to self-deceit as well as being deceived by others from an outside source. But if we say, I want to be wise, you know, I want to be wise, and we ought to want that. But we need to start with our own way, right? That's what the Bible is saying. It's easy for us to, you know, have be far-sighted and saying, you know, I can't believe that person is doing what they're doing over there. Don't they know what's going to happen? And we're not even as concerned as we ought to be because of blind spots that we have in our own lives, looking at us. We need to do more mirror watching than binocular watching, don't we? I like what Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise there we go but instead what understanding what what 
the will of the Lord is. And I hear people say, oh, pastor, you know, how do I find out the will of God? As if there's some sort of incantation prayer that you pray, and then God kind of downloads images into your mind about a career choice, about financial investments, about a possible geographic move. Any of those things, right? And God doesn't generally operate that way. He doesn't work like a fortune teller. He doesn't use a crystal ball. That's kind of what our flesh gravitates toward. You know how God operates? He gives to us precepts in His Word. He gives us principles by which we are to live by. He asks us to submit to His Spirit in daily leading. And as we humbly walk with our God, it is amazing how God will even in very specific situations and issues give us direction and leadership. He will do that for us. We don't need a, a cloud in our, in our sky that moves about to direct how we drive our car like that He gave to the children of Israel. That's what He deemed important for them at that time. Because He has given to us the whole counsel of His Word. And He wants us to be in prayer. He wants us to be humble and teachable. And as we want to know His will and yield ourselves to that, we shall know of His doctrine, Jesus said. So we need to not be lax in our daily choices. Secondly, we need to be cautious of bad habits, even in good areas. Is there such a thing? Well, let me, let's give this some consideration. Sheep can be allowed to graze over and over in the same pasture. Good pasture. Pasture that the shepherd even initially leads them into. And if the sheep stay in that good pasture land too long, bad things can still happen to them. Did you know that? Philip Keller, I've referenced him a couple times, uh, shepherd and author, speaks of how sheep would in that kind of condition, left too long in one pasture land, would actually nibble down the roots, the grass. They'd get right down to the roots and begin to eat, chew down into the dirt to get to the roots. And by doing that, they stifle the plant from being able to grow and regenerate itself. But also, when, when the grass in that pasture gets down to that point, those plants are more susceptible to disease. So guess what happens? The sheep come back and they eat that. Now they're what had been in that same vicinity good. Now they're eating something that's diseased. And now it's being harmful to them. They say, how in the world does that apply to us as spiritual sheep, right? Well... As believers, aren't we called to dine on good areas of biblical study? We are, right? You're like, is there any area of my Bible that could be bad for me? And the answer is no. It's all good. It's all of God. But I do believe that there are topics of theology, there are issues in our Bible that can capture the Christian for too long and cause him to tarry too long and not go on to move on to other spiritual matters. In that sort of isolated, narrow-viewed perspective of the Bible can be harmful to sheep. It can be harmful to us as Christians. I mean, we understand how we eat food physically, right? And, you know, someone tells you, for instance, you go to the doctor and he says to you, uh, you know what, you're a little low on iron. You need to eat a more iron-rich diet. Do you think your doctor wants you to eat nothing but spinach, three meals a day for the rest of your life? You go back to him in six months, he may be saying to you, you know, 
uh, you've got way too much iron. You know, I told a story once, I should say an account, it's actually a true thing that happens. One of our, our men, he's now in heaven, not because of this, by the way, um, but he had low potassium. He started eating multiple bananas a day. And next time he went, his potassium was way too high. And, of course, he was having palpitations of the heart, I think it was. That's, you know, kind of thing that happens and stuff. And they took blood work. He's like, wow, you have way too much potassium here, you know. We understand that, don't we? Well-balanced diet. Well-balanced diet here, too, folks. You know, does the Bible teach on prophecy? Yes or no? It does. A lot of, lot of good stuff in the Bible about prophecy. Does God want us to spend time studying prophecy in the Bible? He does. Does God want us to spend 100% of our time doing nothing but reading the prophetic passages, watching only YouTube videos about prophecy, reading only books about eschatology? Does God want us to do that? That is not healthy for the Christian. There are so many other things that we, we need to cover. I've met people that, you know, they have said, you know what? I just, I just love reading about my salvation. I just love reading about the gospel, how Jesus saved me. And just spend all of their time in something like the gospel of John and just talking about you know, grace and salvation and so forth like that. And, and, you, and you start to talk to them and it's like, you know, well, you know, tell me what you know about sanctification. Sanctify what? You know? Like, yeah. We, we can't undermine and say that hearing about salvation is important. But this is exactly what Hebrews 6.1 is teaching us when it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, these are the, the basic building blocks he's talking about, let us go on unto perfection or spiritual maturity he's talking about here. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. In another passage of Scripture, he talks about, you know, the idea that, you know, you're still in the milk. And as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. That's true. But God wants us to eventually go on to the strong meats too, right? And so if, if your quiet time, if your Bible study, if your interest of what you're pursuing outside of church when it comes to studying God's Word keeps you bringing you back to just one particular topic. Warning signs need to go off. You may be in a right path, but maybe not God's path that He's leading you to that day. There are other things. He wrote the whole Bible, right? And all of it is good for us. We need to thirdly understand that right paths are necessary because spiritual opposition exists. <laughs> oh, yes, spiritual warfare is real. You're not just having a bad day because of something called karma or the force is not with you or something of that silly nature, right? No. There is behind the veil of what human eyes see the reality that we wrestle against not just flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And believers are always going to have opposition. Always. It, it, if it feels like an easier day for you, the enemy's just kind of let, help, hoping you'll let your guard down maybe or something like that. Or God's grace has just kind of come in and given you a breather. But don't think that Satan has X'd you out of his target list, okay? Believers need the correct and accurate path to the Lord because that is the only thing that guarantees a successful walk of faith. We need that. We need to know, okay, God, I need to know what you want me to know so that I'm prepared for the battle of today. You know, if a believer latches on to some variant truth and it's easy to have happen if you read the book of colossians that's the spirit 
of what Paul is addressing there. Here, these were believers that seemed to be so soon, and he even is surprised, and he, he says it in sort of an aghast sort of fashion, you know. You know, you're so soon moved from the good place where I left you. And so if a believer latches on to some variant truth or a distorted principle from the Bible, what you're going to find is it's kind of like standing on a partially rotten limb in a tree. It's so, soon going to break under the weight of you. It is. And so we need to make sure that as we're asking the Lord to lead us in and, and to trust Him to lead us into right paths and to welcome that, that it's going to give us the strength to stand. Psalm 5 and verse 8 is a prayer that David says, Lead me, O Lord. This would be a good way for us to pray and to borrow the, the terminology here. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Why? Because of my what? Enemies. Now, what was going through David's mind exactly at that time? We're not entirely sure. It is probably th he's probably thinking of flesh and blood enemies like Saul and Saul's minions and armies. He may have been thinking of his treacherous son Absalom, who led a coup against him. He may be thinking of the spiritual warfare of the unseen realm that plagues him. Whatever the case is, he was wise enough to realize he had enemies. And folks, as likable of a person as you are, if you're walking with Christ, you've got enemies. You've got enemies. And we need to ask the Lord, as he finishes up in this verse, to say, Make thy way straight before my face. I want it to be very evident and clear and understandable, the path you want me to take today. You know, our opposition in this world is just looking for the opportunity to set us aside as hypocritical or ineffectual. Brother Dale, who fronts a lot of the email that comes into the ministry, uh, he and I both received an email that was almost identical from the same person, but a variation, and we discerned that based on this, that it looked like a bait email to see how we would respond to it because it was under the guise of, you know, would I be welcome in your church if I were? And one of the issues dealt with a, a political direction, okay? And we don't take a, uh, a defined stand necessarily on political parties, but we teach truth that hopefully helps you discern how to vote as a good steward in any election. And some parties do a better job of mirroring uh, what the Bible encourages us to stand for better than others, okay? And I will say it would be hard in my conscience to personally be affiliated with certain platforms and parties in that way. The other email came... Same email address, same opening paragraph almost, but it was, it was dealing with the issue of personal lifestyle choices, which the Bible clearly denounces. And we regularly uh, teach what the Bible teaches on that category. You know, my answer is simply, you know, we welcome everybody into... Uh, our, our congregation as far as to come and sit and listen and learn, and I would love to sit and talk with you about how we can reach out to you and be a blessing. But after we saw both emails, we realized this might have been someone trying to hope or see, you know, oh, we don't want your kind here type response. And there are some, sadly some ministries that will uh, just look at, people that way is unrescuable, unreachable, rather than try to lovingly give them the gospel. They may or may not receive it, but we still ought to share the gospel passionately with them, the belief that God can change their hearts and lives, and He does. God does do that. But it made me realize once again, the opposition is out there, folks. And 
there is probably coming a day where we're going to be challenged and things will not be as they are right now with regard to maybe all of the benefits that we enjoy as we take our stand on what the Word of God says. I know in other parts of the world, men of God who have taken a very clear stand as they should have found themselves incarcerated, put in jail, in prison for taking such a stand. I hope that we would follow suit, not to uh, be abrasive in our personalities. Or, you know, we want to uh, obey those that have the rule over us as we can, but when it comes down to it, if we have to, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so we realize that, as it says here, Lord, lead me. This ought to be our prayer. We learn the rightness of God primarily from the Word. For instance, Psalm 19, verse 8, the first part of the verse says, The statutes of the Lord are what? Right. What are His, not statues, statutes, right? The teachings of God's Word. They're right. Fundamentally, they are right. And as we hone in and get to the precision of what it is actually saying, what ought to happen in the heart of a believer is like, yay, that's great. That only happens if our heart wants to love God and serve Him and to know His heart. Clear understanding of Scripture and an accurate interpretation of the text is crucial to arriving at good conclusions as to what God is saying and what is right. When we arrive at an understanding of what is right from the Bible, it should be a, a source of innermost joy inside of us. And I hope you experience that in your quiet time. I hope as you're reading along and you see something, you're like, that's exactly the direction and counsel I needed for what I'm going through right now. I mean, I was praying, say, God, I need wisdom. And I was, you know, he even knew that that was kind of coming up this week in my reading. And the Spirit of God just went, boom, look at this. And you just got so excited that you, you know, went out and found a family member and like, you won't believe this. Or I love getting emails or phone calls from people. It's like, I just got to, Pastor, I just got to tell you this. It is exciting, right? It ought to be exciting. Clear understanding of Scripture and an accurate interpretation of the text is crucial if we're going to arrive at good conclusions. We must long for right because of our love for God. You know, there are some people who say, well, of course I want what's right. But if we don't have the right motive, for instance, if we want to comply because of peer pressure, you know, there's a lot of people in good, good, good churches where the Word of God is being taught just very straight. But they're in that church, and they're surrounded by a lot of wonderful people whose mind and heart is fixed on God. But maybe they are not. But you know what? They want to fit in. That's the culture that they're in. And so therefore, they want to do right, but they want to do right because of their friends around them doing right. That's not going to make it, folks. That's not going to last. That's why a lot of times you see young people growing up in really solid churches, and sometimes as they go into adulthood, they, they go way off somewhere and have nothing to do with God. And the church did everything right. The parents did everything right. But they never personally fell in love with Jesus deep down in their heart. They never said, you know what, my ambition is to, to please God because I love God more than I love myself. There is a path of righteousness regarding to how we interact with others, right? Our interpersonal relationships. We need to say, God, you have a path of righteousness of how I interact with this person and that person. We, there is also a right path when it comes to our personal choices regarding financial dealings. God cares about how we spend our money. Did you realize that? Read Proverbs. There's all kinds of warnings and recommendations about 
being properly related to your economics and your fiscal dealings. There is a right path when it comes to our level of industriousness versus relaxation. Again, Proverbs is great on this, talking about the slothful, right? That doesn't mean that we don't need to rest. God gave us a day of rest, for crying out loud, right? It doesn't mean that vacations are wrong. But we need a right path. There's a right path when it comes to the care of our physical bodies. After all, the New Testament calls it the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. It's not, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And there's so many more areas. In fact, every area. There's not an area in our life that there isn't really a right or wrong path. But if there's a choice involving a path of righteousness, then it means that there must be at least one, if not multiple, paths that go towards wickedness in these categories. And so our desire, our prayer, our burden, our passion needs to be, Lord, what he's saying here, I want to be led in the path of rightness, of righteousness. Which brings us to the last point that focuses on that last part of the phrase, for his name's sake. And this is that we need to protect the reputation of the Lord as most important. Why do we want to choose the right paths in all these categories? So that I'll have a blessed life? No, you will. But it's mostly because of him. The leading, this leading is done primarily for the sake of the shepherd's name or reputation. Now, we've all been taught when we pray, we do this with our children, right? You pray, you know, often you start, Dear Heavenly Father, or something like that. And you pray through your prayer, and you come to the end of the prayer, and you probably say amen, but right before you say amen, you, you throw in another little phrase that says what? In Jesus' name. I hope you don't think that by tacking on that phrase that it's some sort of incantation that means, okay, because I said in Jesus' name, amen, therefore this prayer has a better chance of getting through. Okay? That is not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So what does it mean? It means praying in such a way that it would warrant, your prayer would warrant the approval of Jesus. In other words, pray that way. That's why his disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to what? Pray. And, and prayer is a lifelong learning process. We're always going to be in the school of prayer. And the Bible has wonderful things to help us to learn to pray. But if we don't know the Word of God, we won't know the heart of God. And the more we are in the Word of God, the better we'll know the heart of God. And we know better how to pray. Things that if Jesus were sitting there next to us and He was praying, He'd be like, that's what I would have said. That's how we need to be thinking in our prayer life. So if it works that way in prayer, guess what? It's equally important to how we actually live and behave. Choices that we make. What are we called to be? Among other things, we're called as Christians to be salt and light. Two analogies that Jesus uses. What does that mean? Well, as such, our lives should commend spiritual illumination to people in darkness, right? They, you know... They, they may turn their back on Jesus, but we work with them. We live beside them. So hopefully they're seeing the brilliance of Jesus' spiritual illumination lived out in us. And as salt, hopefully we haven't lost our Savior. We can offer spiritual quenching for people who are parched in this very wickedly arid world. Can our choice to deviate in one of those areas that I was talking about, or one that I didn't mention, if we choose to set off on our own on any given day or any part of a day and say, I got this, I'm going to be self-directed here, don't need to bother God with this one, 
Are we in danger of choosing a path that might not only have an adverse effect on us, but on others around us? And the answer is absolutely. It did in the case of David. His sin to satisfy his own personal desires. Notice what 2 Samuel 12, 14. He's now standing in front of Nathan the prophet who is calling him on the carpet, literally, about what he has done. Fortunately, David is having a humble, repentant spirit. But Nathan doesn't pull any punches. Okay? And he says, and with everything else that has happened because of this, you know, Uriah is dead because you plotted to have, you conspired to have him murdered. You got his wife pregnant, you committed adultery with her. And beyond that, how be it, because by this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to what? Blaspheme. Yeah. David, man after God's own heart, the Philistines are saying. He, yeah, he killed our champion giant, Goliath. He can't conquer his own lustful desires. <laughs> what kind of God does he serve? I guess that Jehovah God's not so special anymore, right? Now, I'm, of course, embellishing there, but you've got to believe that that kind of thing was going on. The enemies of God are just waiting for you and I to go off on our own. Because eventually when we do that, we will blow it. Not only happened in David, but it happened in the church of Rome when believers were teaching one way. This is what you need to do. But they were behaving differently. They were teaching against stealing. They were teaching against adultery. They were teaching against idolatry. But then it says they were engaging in the same things. They were doing it. They were not practicing what they what? Preach. That little saying that has often been repeated is a very heretical saying when it says, don't do as I do, do as I what? Heresy, folks. So anti-Bible, so anti the heart of God. And it doesn't work that way. You know? Parents look at their children and it's like, I didn't teach you that way. And then... I'm thinking, did you look how you lived? I'm pretty sure you did. Romans 2.24 says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Because they were doing that. Because they were saying, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit idolatry. But then they were actually involved in those things. You know, the people in town knew what they were doing. I never forget, we, we had just moved here. I had gone to a local printer, and as I was standing, waiting to talk to the man behind the counter, um, there was just a little conversation with me and him, uh, and another lady that was there also as a customer. And uh, he looks at her and says, oh, you two have something in common. I'm like, I don't even know who this lady is. And I was waiting for what he would say. He says, yeah, you're both church people, you know. I could tell, you know, when he says it that way, he's probably not, you know. And uh, I said, oh, really? And uh, I said, what church are you a part of? And she told me the name of the church. I don't remember now which one it was. And uh, so we were just chit-chatting. I'm like, you know, uh, why are you here? And so well, I'm getting stuff done up. And she's like, I'm... It's a big church, you know, and we have a lot of children, a lot of teachers of children's classes, and I, I'm the head of all the, of the children's ministries there. Yeah. He says, uh, and he says, and then the guy kind of with a smirk on his face says, he says, oh, yeah, you know, and uh, she's about to go on her honeymoon. And I said, oh, wonderful. And I said, uh, how long have you been married? She's like, well, we're getting married when we come back from our honeymoon. And he grinned even bigger. And I just thought to myself, lady, you just blew it. I could tell by the expression on his face. He knew. Any kind of credibility 
that she might have in sharing the gospel with this man was just gone. But you know what? It was also going to hurt my ability to share the gospel that she said she represented too. Folks, our choices, when we don't accept the counsel of God on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, right? It does have consequences. I love this picture in closing. It reminds us, in all things, we need to seek the Lord's counsel. Paths. Every day we get up, we, we start down a path. And as we walk down that path, we're going to come to choices where the path might go this way or that way. And we just need to say, Lord, help me. Help me to believe that you are the good shepherd. Help me to believe that as a sheep, I need your leadership. I want to represent you well. I want to honor you. I don't want to trust my own instincts and set aside the Word of God. And you know what? It is such a blessing to walk behind the Good Shepherd as one of His sheep. It is such a joy as you walk time and time again into the meadows of spiritual providence that He has for you. So, dear friend, wherever you find yourself today, enjoy the path of righteousness that He's leading you in because it is for His name's sake more than it is for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of Scripture. Thank you for how we can compare Scripture with Scripture to make sure that we're on the right path, not just to pull something from one spot, see that it's harmonized, it's emphasized, it's supported, it's taught. Holy Spirit that you've given inside of us to help us to really get at the bottom of what's being said, how it applies to our life. And then, Lord, beyond that, you put good people around us, external voices that help us, lest we begin to drift and deviate. We do realize in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, Lord. And so, Lord, thank you for right paths. Thank you that things are not just up for grabs. That there is no real truth to personal truth. Well, that's true for you. That's true for me. Lord, help us not to fall into the grips of relativism and subjectivism. There is a right path in every sense of the word. Lord, may we settle for nothing less than that right path you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, today maybe you've not chosen the right path of salvation that Christ has provided when He died on the cross for your sin. You know, we are sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God.